Welcome back to another episode of Who's to Say? I'm your host, Tom Foolery, and it is my absolute pleasure to say that I have been joined in this episode for the first time by not one, but two guests, both of whom are very dear and close to my heart. Steve Kiley and Matt McLuhan are strength coaches, and while it sure sounds cool to be a strength coach, you may be wondering, what does that involve exactly? Well, these two are outstanding role models who can fill in the blanks for you in this episode. We discuss, among many other things, finding your career through skill, movements you can use for your whole life, effective communication, and even more hidden and very valuable gems. But before we begin, I wanted to provide a snapshot of our guests. Matt McLuhan is currently a strength and conditioning coach at Boston College High School in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and has been training athletes and general population clients for more than 15 years. He is a certified functional training coach, EXOS performance specialist, and has completed countless other courses in the field of USA weightlifting, speed, strength and conditioning, and wellness. He coached football at Boston College High School from 2007 to 2014, and in 2007 he joined the strength and conditioning staff at Boston College High School, joining his dear friend Steve Kiley, after serving as a personal trainer, programming director, and gym manager for MBX training from 2008 to 2017. Matt was paralyzed in a car accident in 2009 after hitting a pothole on Route 3 in Massachusetts heading to work on a Sunday in October. He is a C6, C7 quadriplegic and one of the very few with a very active and intense workout regime. And in his own words, the good news is every day is arm day. His friend, Steve Kiley, is an educator, a coach, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and an online trainer. He also has spent 15 years educating middle and high school students, while also serving as strength coach for mind and body cross-training, also known as MBX, from 2008 to 2010, and as the head strength and conditioning coach at Boston College High School from 2011 to 2020. Currently, he is fitness director for Wellness Literacy, a wellness education and consulting company he founded with his wife. You can connect with Steve on Instagram, at Coach Steve Kiley. And I very much hope you enjoy my conversation with these two. Before we dive in, I really wanted to share with you all something that has been an incredible resource to me, my friends and family, in bolstering our wellness, well-being, fitness, energy, and performance, all from a dietary standpoint, and that is heart and soil supplements. You may already be familiar with the work of Dr. Paul Saladino, also known as Carnivore MD, but I was really drawn to him not only just because of his passion, but the things that he's passionate about are things that I've become very curious about myself. Uh, regenerative farming, the best ways to maintain primal practices of how we understand our bodies and nature, and of course, really filling in the missing links between our current diets and what we ate in past times. This is a quote that is published on all the labels of heart and soil supplements, and before I tell you what they are, I want you to keep this in mind. When the blood in your veins returns to the sea, and the earth in your bones returns to the ground, perhaps then you will remember that this land does not belong to you, but it is you who belong to this land. There are few better ways to reconnect with the land than to enjoy desiccated beef organs. Now hold on, before your gag reflex kicks in, I can tell you from my own personal experience, there is no real taste to speak of, and you will only be enjoying the restorative, regenerative, 
invaluable benefits that you get from bringing your body nutrients that are so hard to consume given our, our limited access to these sorts of supplements and uh, vital beef organs. So right now I'm looking at a bottle of skin and hair, uh, you know, a, a collagen supplement. And from this, you get from New Zealand grass-fed uh, beef, you get cartilage, collagen, peptide, sulfates, and you also get bone marrow and liver. Now that is a lot going on there. And I'm telling you, it is a game changer and it is brings a marked difference to how you feel. And as we know, health is the optimal function of your organs. Nothing like beef organs to stimulate your human organs. So go to www.heartandsoil.co. That's www.h-e-r-a-r-t-a-n-d-s-o-i-l.co. That's heartandsoil.com. I think you'll really find this makes a difference in how you feel and what you're able to do and how you better understand your body. So thank you, Heart and Soil, for giving me the ability to do that. And someday we'll have a discount cord for you all. But in the meantime, scour the internet, look for ways that you can get a discount um, because I think it's more than worth it. The value is there, the benefits are there, and I hope this winds up on your vitamin stack very soon. But uh, now I'm happy to say that you can enjoy my conversation with Steve Kiley and Matt McClune, and we jump right in, so be ready. Is this good enough? I like that. This is good yeah. enough right here. You're good enough just as you are, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about as nice as I'll be from here on out. Um, I mean, I'm really just delighted that you two were even willing to sit down with me. Um, I've been bragging a lot of people that I know you, and now they're going to get to know who you guys really are. But um, And I'll do my introductions another time. I'm going to keep my fraudulent uh, personality. <laughs> no, so, so, so I'll say, I mean, you know, fair warning. I think you guys know I, I can talk formally and sometimes it can seem a little stuffy but it's just how i like to talk you guys Dude, talk like, I, like, however I, you want what's funny is kylie was gronk in high school he was our gronk he's just like a, he was fun happy go lucky like center of attention at the party like awesome <laughs> and the second i like i heard like yeah, like you know kylie want like i talked to barley about needing kylie needing help on the freshman level and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I got the phone call and it was like a level of professionalism that I was just like taken aback by. Oh, wow. And really? Was, yeah. you know what? He went from being like a bro <laughs> to like, he is the most well-organized person, whether it be academically, football-wise, strength and conditioning-wise, one of the more organized people I've ever come across. Like to the point that we complement each other so well. We've, we say this all the time. Mm. As we complement each other well, because he's like really like a right brain, right or a left brain. Left brain is the structure, right? No, right brain is the structure. Either way, I think so. His brain works like New York City, <laughs> all right, like on a grid, and mine works like the city of Boston, like Tangled Christmas lights. Right? <laughs> you know where it's like I can I'm you know good with going with ideas, and I like to read and learn and research and. You know, all that kind of stuff. And Kylie is excellent at getting thoughts down on paper in an organized fashion that I suck at. Like, I try to organize stuff and, like, stuff just gets partially finished in, like, five different locations. So. Well, that's that's fair of you. Yeah. You think that's a fair description of you? Do you see yourself as structured like that? I mean, yeah, you have, <clears throat> you have to when you take... Um you take leadership roles you have to 
be organized and you have to be firm and you have to be disciplined. Um, but the beauty of coaching and teaching is you get to collaborate with other people. Like Matt and I have been best friends since we're 15 years old. We went to school together. We lifted together. We got the, we were lucky and blessed to be able to coach together in our twenties, young twenties when we coach you. Yeah. And we just, our personalities are, they met, they're different, but they mesh so well together coaching. So if you, you've been coached by both of us and a lot of these kids we've worked with over the years have been coached by both of us. And we both have different energy. We have different skills. We have different weaknesses that we build. We build each other's weaknesses up. We help each other out. Um, we're there for each other. And honestly, I, I like, I can't, I challenge you to find a better coaching duo. Um, and, and it's just, it, I, I really love our our relationship, our friendship, and the way we coach together was really was Well, we really just, awesome. we, we, what happens so much in coaching, and you know, as we get older, I'm starting to realize this more, is like what's so, what happens so much is coaching is that you see coaches or a coaching staff, you know, whether it be a like a college or whatever, is they see the world through a keyhole. You know, it's like it's through insert keyhole here, whether it's, you know, West Side or whatever, you know. Um, and by the fact that both of us have a little bit of yin-yang kind of going with each other, it, it, it helps us cover a lot of bases so that a program that may have been too one-sided or another now gets kind of like evenly balanced out. And then a coaching style that, you know, may have been overbearing in one way or another gets balanced out. Like I know that especially as a coach and as a person, you know, like if I get going, like if I'm caffeinated, like I'm a lot to deal with. I may not, I may like say something that, you know, I think's supposed to be funny or joking around a kid will say, think it might be serious. You know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, like you have to be like a certain type of personality to connect with me right off the bat before I like learn you. Like mm -hmm. if somebody's a little bit more like, you know, in the closet or shy or anything like that, um, you know, they may be like, all right, this guy's really intimidating. This guy, you know, he's loud. I don't want to, you know, be the, but then, you know, once they get to know me, it's a little different. But then with Kylie, Kylie isn't the yell and scream that you coach. I mean, I'm not either. I'm more of like, I project I don't yell. Projects very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, but what Kylie does is he's, he's, he's the dad in the room. He's the professional, you know? Sometimes his job is to reel me in. Like, hey, I, you know, take it easy a little bit. Like, you're getting too old school football coachy or, you know. And, it, and is, that, is that easier when you're such good friends? Or, or? 100%. Okay. Yeah, so. Because I know what his intention is. So just to, just to give you, I mean, give you a little backstory. You can still work a little bit. Um, you guys are doing great. First, Thank you. so Matt and I, we've been best friends for what you know, twenty five years, something That's like that. Surreal. So, like, we love each other as friends. Like, nothing's going to get in the way of our friendship, ever. So, when I was Matt became a personal trainer before me. Matt helped me become a personal trainer and then a strength coach. Um, and so, so similar trajectory for you to going the conventional PT route, personal trainer route, 
and then finding jobs as strength coaches? Yeah. So, I mean, we were just, we were just like loving being in a gym and we were both coaching multiple sports. I was a football lacrosse oh. coach. Matt coached football and track. A football and track. And throw. we just like loved athletics and being in the gym. And, you know, we both were like, hey, let's. And then we, we knew one of our mentors, Mark Stonkis, was like, hey, you guys just come to our gym. You know, I'll hire you. You know, pr- you can prove yourself. And we did. We, we worked for him and he was getting started in his gym. And, and it was awesome. We had such a fun time. And uh, he helped me pass my personal training, my first personal training one. Mm. And then when I started, uh, I took over the, as head strength coach at BC High. I really wanted Matt. So we've helped each other. Which, which was when? When did you take the role as head strength coach? 2011. So just a little backstory. Do you want a backstory? Yeah, please. Cool. All right. Um, so I've been a teacher for 15 years. In the first five years, in addition to teaching social studies, middle school, by the way, mm-hmm. um, I coached football with Matt. We coached together. I coached lacrosse. And then after about five years, we coached you and your all your mm-hmm. friends and it was just, it's awesome. And coaching is such an awesome part of being in schools and teaching. And, and then after five years, well, within those five years, Matt and I both also worked summers at a place called MBX, Mind and Body Cross Training. At that point, um, in oh, late 08 is when MBX got started. And then I went on staff. There I was Mark's first hire. Hmm. And then... That summer, right, is when you came on mm-hmm. and we were both training, you know, the kids uh, that we met on the fresh eighth grade and freshman oh, wow. football team. And really where it naturally went was Matt trained a lot of the college kids. I trained a lot of the younger beginners. And that was our, I'd almost say our specialty. We, I, would, I would work with them when they're younger, when they're just getting started. Me being a teacher, I have those skills and you know, like you said, I'm a little bit softer when it comes to doing those type of things. But eventually they'd move to Matt and Matt would push him harder. So like I, like I mentioned before, it's the perfect blend of, you know, uh, coaching styles. And that was how it worked at MBX uh, for the first few years. And then when BC High, when I took the, the head strength coach at BC High, I wasn't able to hire Matt. At first, it took a few years for a, a spot to open up, and uh, and you know it was just it was great working with your best friend every day. It was just it was phenomenal, and uh, it, it just um, you know I don't do so. A few years ago, COVID hit. I I stepped down from that position. I do some other things now. My wife and I um, help families and kids, you know, with their health and fitness. Uh, we got some things coming up, but. You know, those days were, were really, really special and awesome to work with your best your best friends. So, and it's like you go into some. You asked if you know it was difficult to correct or you know, I guess like enforce because there'd be times when I wanted to do something, Steve wanted to do something else, and Steve, being the head guy, would just kind of point to the stripes on his shirt, you know, and he'd be like, "I want to, I want to try this." You know? Yeah. Uh, Okay, cool. We'll do it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, at least we'll have the data. Right? And that's something that, you know, we try to tell kids that 
or the younger population, educated population, whatever you want to think about, is that in order to, to find what you like, what you're good at, what works for you, it's built on top of a bunch of failures, right? So like when, when Steve left BC High, we felt like we had, or when he stepped down from that position, we felt like we had achieved like, all right, now we're getting somewhere. Um, when I came on staff, was it 17 or 18? Yeah. Right, we, we tried a bunch of different stuff out. You know what I mean? And, and some stuff was like, okay, this works well, but this doesn't work well. That works well, but this doesn't work well. And you just pick and go. Well, you, you were in the lab, though, doing that. Yeah. And finding was, that not, not being. Sometimes we would change it from session to session. Sometimes we would change it from phase one to phase two. And sometimes we would change it from season to season. But like. But that's a high level of skill, I think, to, to do that and be that fluid instead of saying, we're laying down this structure for the year. Maybe we'll change it. I mean, th- think about it. We're going to talk about these things of ego and positive feedback loops. Again, that, that keyhole mentality that you talked about is just like, this is our way. And we put it down. For you to be that flexible b- blows my mind, especially with the volume of kids that you're seeing, the, the different periods, different phases. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. Well, I think Steve and I can both agree that a lot of people think that both training and life are like bricks and mortar and steel beams and you know all that kind of stuff and it's not it's not this solid structure that you start at week one and you know you do exactly what you planned out until week 12 it's not how it works it's more like a fish tank right where like there's structure there but within the inside all of it kind of flows and moves and you know is adaptable and i think that's one of the skills that trainer teacher parent you know whoever can have is to be adaptable because nowadays you know we know that life takes place in the gray areas it's a lot of nuance training is a lot of nuance right like all the stuff we're seeing in the country is nuance but now people want to perceive it as black or white you know and we know that that's not the case so you have to be fluid yeah you know kid comes up to you from the middle of a session coach i got hurt three weeks ago i hurt my knee (laughs) and it's like you're telling me on the third set of your last circuit all right we got to figure out something for you do for you three weeks later (laughs) you know right so Yeah. yeah life is fluid yeah has to be well and Thank you to for setting the stage. Um, I mean, just just in that, I've written down a couple of questions that I know we'll come back to. But to further paint the picture, would you two be willing to pretend that if your resume was going up on a billboard, and we know it can't be that full one-page deal, um, your job description, what you two feel like you're doing these days, Steve? You know, we're going to come back and and hopefully talk more about what you and your wife are up to because mm-hmm. I think that's really going to be. Part of the core value of this conversation is physical education. I, mean, I look to you, too, for your wealth of knowledge and experience because you've been fluid and laying it down for day after year. You know, for I mean, it's, it's wild to think of you as a teacher for that long, let alone, you know, coaching you know, in a head coaching role since 2011. But um, start with you, Steve, your job description these days. Um, I mean, I'm an educator, and that's really that's what it is. And to me, that's all it fits into a lot because 
I've always been told that good teachers could teach anything. Like if you have a really good teacher in high school and that teacher teaches math and that person's a really good teacher, they could probably teach science, English, they could figure it out um, because they have that art. They know the art of teaching. And it's about communicating, understanding how to give and take feedback, uh, creating a plan, working backwards. And so, I, I mean, that's my resume is, is that. I, and that's what I take pride in. I love being an educator. I love helping uh, people, specifically young people or uh, any, anyone really who's willing to learn. And the key is you're willing and ready to learn. And I'm, I'm here to help you. So. Uh, I teach middle school, which is, yeah, I think if you teach middle, if you can teach middle Gosh, school for 15 years, bless your heart, I yeah. mean, uh, <laughs> it's also, I, I, I just love the energy and it's such an important age that people just gloss right over. They either go to, you know, grade to school apparel, young to, and then yeah. high school. And then there's this huge gap from, you know, sixth grade to ninth grade, ninth grade that nobody really focuses on. And that's such a key area of growth, both physically and mentally and emotionally. So formative is, is the word that yeah. like, I think we totally neglect there. So malleable. So I love, I love that age group. I love working with beginners and that's, you know, kind of if, if that my resume popped up, it would be, Hey, this, this guy is an educator. He's here to help you if you're ready to learn. So. Well, the, the here to help part is, is a big deal. And, and you were saying before we started recording that you feel like you, year over year get to build on your skill and you get to enjoy the fruits of that, you know, because I'm, I'm sure with more skill, you feel like you have more energy. You feel like you get to make you so, you know, you understand your room a little better. I, obviously, like you said, the room changes every year, you know, in, in intervals. But um, I mean, yeah, you've had lots of time to build that skill and you feel like you're still rising. I bet. Yeah, it's just this. It's communicating. It's society's always changing. The kids are different every year. You have to, like Matt said, you have to be flexible and be able to adapt to what's in front of you. Um, it's, it is an art and a science, right? So I teach social studies. I need to be able, I need to know that subject. I need to understand what I'm talking about, but also I need to be able to teach it and communicate it and help those students understand it and work on their skills with it. So it's, um, it's, it is an art and a, a science at the same time, just like coaching. And there, you, know, you could read textbooks about coaching. You could read, you could read programs all day. You could read, I, I know PhDs in history that have absolutely bombed as teachers. Like they can't teach it. So you have to have a good mix of both. And you actually have to enjoy kids. Like if you're going to work in high school, you, you actually have to enjoy kids and especially kids that may I not like you all the time. There's a lot of high school teachers out there who do not oh, enjoy kids. For sure. And those aren't the ones that uh, come back, you know, 15 years later and have you on their first podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, no, but ho hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. Now I'm looking at you, bad coach, uh, of this good coach, bad coach dynamic. Yeah. I mean, you, you both have shared this title and it's something that I'm so enamored with strength coach. Like I, I mean, that just sounds like the dopest job to me and we'll, we'll come full circle to that. But, uh, in your words, Matt, what are you up to these days? It's funny. I can literally just echo what Steve said, you know, um, cause growing up, I was always like the, um, like I coached at a lot of camps. I always coached at BC High football camps when I was, you know, 
playing football there as a senior. Um, coached at baseball camps, and I didn't make the baseball team at BC High. Um, so I realized at a very early age that I enjoyed doing stuff like this, and I enjoyed teaching somebody how to do something. It didn't matter what it was. You know, it, it could be, you know, teaching somebody how to ride a bike or teaching somebody how to do a bench or whatever. Um, I enjoyed that. So a, a weight room is just kind of, a strength coach is just a meathead educator, you know, um, where I didn't realize in college that this was a job that I could have or I would have pursued it a lot earlier. You know, um, this was something that, you know, ended up just coming up and I got so, like Steve said, enamored with it. I just continued pursuing education. It was like, all right, give me all the strength stuff you got. Okay, now speed and power, now change, like all of it. And it was just building and building and building and building. So a resume, it's, it's an educator, but it's a weight room educator. It's a lifestyle educator. It's a wellness educator, whatever you want to put. Physical preparation, there's so many different names that you can put to what we do. Um, I, I, I believe that the body and the mind are together as one person, so I believe they should be trained as such. Um, and yeah, I believe in eventually your goal as a personal trainer, weight room coach, weight learner, strength trainer, whatever you want to call it, should be to have your athletes not need you. To teach them to be you know, competent on their own. Hey, maybe they don't organize these exercises in the same way you do, all right, but they need to know what goes in A block if they're doing a four-day program, what goes in B block if they're doing a three-day program, you know, and then if they, you can teach them to do that and you can teach them principles, right, then, you know, they can just fill that in. Problem is, ever the younger kids, you know, are being fed the everything, right? And they're not being given the principles that lead to success versus the entire process that leads to success, you know? So I think it's in our role to add education into that process of coach, trainer, whatever you want to call it. Coach Kylie actually... Uh, made a system called the Omast system. Yes. And he'll probably take you through that in a little bit, but Hope the, so. the ED of the Omast system was education. It was the final piece, right? It could have been Omass, right? But it was Omass. We, we wanted to educate as many guys as we could so that they would come back to BC High and say something along the lines of, like, I've been doing basically what you. We had done here, and it's worked like X and such. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Matt, Matt is a strength coach by definition. Yeah. Like this guy loves strength and conditioning. Falls asleep with the essentials of strength and conditioning <laughs> next to his pillow. Legit. And uh, we can verify this. I mean, we're, we're verified, here verified. in your home, Matt. I but, mean, I saw it. But here's how it's on the couch. Matt and I will call. We will call each other randomly, and just say like hey did, you know what do you think about this we th think about this and we still don't oh. and we just we can talk for hours about it together and when we were coaching together he was the person pushing me being like hey we need to do more speed work we need to do this we need to do more power work and i was the one putting it in excel 
So that, mm. that was our relationship. I was the one figuring out blocks, times, calendar. When you, I was the organizer, I was the manager, I was, I mean, you know, BC High is this humongous school and there are hundreds, you know, sometimes we could have up to 200, maybe 300 kids an afternoon use the yeah. weight room at its peak. And that had to be organized. Which and, is which is managerial status. I, I was thinking well, about this coming yeah. to sit down with you is, you know, in, in the in the corporate world or, or military, or whatever, like we think of managers, having to organize, plan for, and execute for a couple hundred kids, young men well, in an afternoon. Into, this goes into like Steve's uh, ability as an organizer and mm. the way that he thinks, because like I said, you know, my mind works like Christmas lights, so I'll be doing programming things or you know, things we need to get into our program in some capacity. And and what Kylie would do is say, okay, we can't pair this exercise and this exercise because they both require a dumbbell rack and we have limited dumbbells. So we have to put that exercise maybe later in the day or, you know, then that's where my skill would be like, oh, well, we can just put it on this day here and put that day skill here. And it, like, it's a partnership that is once again, this, this mix and match um, you know, kind of style that basically gets everything covered for the most part. So I'll, I'll give you another example of us, uh, a coaching session with us. Matt would get excited, super excited. Not that I wouldn't when you know, kids would go through their, their training and the training would look really solid. Like he would hit PR. Now I would be excited too, but what would excite me more is looking at the entire afternoon. Man, that afternoon, we, we did that exactly 40 minutes. Like, we got that in season yeah. team in exactly 20 minutes. Dude, on the tee, we, we were done at this time. We, we did, we hit all the blocks, they hit all the reps, the form looked good. So, I would look at the more macro, and that would, I'd really be proud of that aspect of it. And Matt would be looking at the individual being, you know, uh, hey, his form, he did this on his form, and be super excited about that. So, it's not that we, the opposite wasn't true, but it was just more where our perspectives were when we coached. I was more looking at the macro. He was more the micro, the day-to-day, the, -day, the kid in front, the, the coaching, the, the hands-on. Um, creating a calendar, making sure time in a weight room is equitable between, you know, you're talking cross-country to football yeah. to, you know, your, your average kid who doesn't play a sport. You have to treat every kid fairly and give everybody the opportunity to get better and, and physically develop. So we had to do that. It was just, you know, it, it worked really well. It was like a nice, it was a nice, well-oiled machine. In well, for, for sure. I mean, that's clear. I've been witness to it. I was part of some of your early phase. I mean, I know it's, it's, you really synced it up now, you know, and we're able to hand it off to people, um, you know, to, you I, know, I will jump I in. Do. Let me jump in. And I don't know any listeners out there, but, uh, when Tom came in, you came in, I forget what year it was, and I oh, saw, wait. yeah, it was like 08 or 09 or something, yeah. it was and you were young. I, and I, I'll say this for your benefit, because I, I, I don't know if you have memorized this, I had never played organized football before in my life. Yeah, you're telling me. No, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying football, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about the weight room. Yeah, yeah. So, you came in, so after that year, I think 09. you were like 20 or something, Oh yes, 21. Yes, yes. And you came in and you, most people that come in and, and coaches are shy, they're timid, they, they don't know what to do. 
you were a natural and you went over to every kid and you were helping them, your voice carried. And I remember that day I was like, hey, uh, why don't you just like coach with us? <laughs> and uh, because you fit, that's a personality that we needed. Matt has a personality, I have a personality, you had a personality, you find people that fit like a puzzle piece of the puzzle that's missing, that's the person you want. Like I didn't want another me. And you know, I have Matt and I needed someone who was like a, an energy guy who came in with a loud voice who was like, you know, like all over the place and would help out anybody and really get people fired up. And um, it was, that's what a team is. And when you're on a staff, that's what a, a staff should look like. Uh, people that complement each other and really for the benefit of the athletes, the students, you know, whoever you're working with. So that was awesome. Just a little, that was part of why we're here today. Yeah, I it's thought it was old, really cool. It's that old adage of when it comes to filling a job requirement, you know, whether it be a training setting or a personal trainer or whatever, any dumbass can figure out how to train people. Push, pull, hinge, squat, carry, if you, you know, core, do something explosive, do some moves. Right, like it's very, very simple. It's not easy. Um, being able to communicate, that that's tougher. Um, but yeah, like with the thing that we would try to do that, you know, we tried a few times and it didn't work out, um, tried a few times and it did, was anybody can train, right, but you can teach anybody to train. You can't teach everybody to be nice or have communication skills or to be outgoing. You know, you talk to certain people, go over and talk to them. Go over and talk to them. See what they ask for, right? With you, you're a social guy um, just by nature, and that benefited you in our environment because it was like, okay, cool. All we have to do is run down what we're doing today with Tom and, you know, the... Um, like coaching points and then he'll take care of the rest you know what I mean so it worked out well yeah I was I was I remember I was texting you every season be like hey are you gonna coach me this yeah. season are you gonna coach him that, this season so. that, that book has not been finished yet I mean you know I'm I'm delighted that that was your experience I had such an such an easy fun time with it. I mean again talk about easily luckily you know, I, I don't know if I thought of myself as a missing puzzle piece, but, but I, I got that vibe from you two that you weren't looking. I mean, I hope we do speak on this. Things like, because people love to throw out words like culture and, you know, and they tell you how great their culture is. It's so hard to see, but um, I mean, yes, with your division of abilities, talents, approaches, I mean, I, I, I agree. I'm hard pressed to find a dynamic duo. I, I, I do want to shift gears a little bit. You know, we're, we're all over these time planes, which is great. But I mean, we're talking about you two as pretty polished, experienced coaches. Uh, like you said, Matt, you had no idea, like a lot of people still do not, that this is, oh my gosh, this is a career option. This is a, this is right. a job it's option. More, it's so much more than three sets of 10. Oh yeah. You know? but, but you met, is it, um, is it Mark Stonkis? Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, other than Mark, who were some other influences for you to either people you look to who weren't in your immediate sphere on a professional level or I mean I, I find New England let alone greater Boston area to be have a, a surfeit of amazing strength conditioning coaches good, got a lot of good uh, yeah. continuing education options yes here. yes but when you guys were saying okay I want to be a really good coach and I, and I you know and have some value enough to get paid for it did you have good models like a Mark Stonkis like who, who else was around? Yeah, I um, 
So before I went to BCI to teach, my first year out of college, I was teaching in New Haven, Connecticut. Hmm. And I coached football with a strength coach. His name is Mike Ranfone, Michael Ranfone. And he, he owns Ranfone Training Systems. Yes. And Mike and I became really good friends really fast. And when I became the head strength coach at BC High, I called him and he and I go, hey, what can make me better? And he goes, anytime I call you to come down to a seminar, you come. And I was like, all right. So he would call me. He would have live seminars at his gym. And some of the best seminars, like we heard, I mean, we had the first functional range conditioning seminar ever in the United States at his gym, which I went to. Um, we had Dan John, Charlie Weingroff. There was like uh, Nick Winkleman. There were so many good quality seminars that were put on at his place. And he would call me and say, you need to get you know down here. And Mike was that guy for me who just would pull me in a direction and I would never say no. So if he yeah. said, if he texted me and said, hey, you, you should come to the seminar, I would go. So he was a really important mentor to me. It really put me on a learning path as a strength coach it, it really in a great direction because as a strength coach, you can go multiple different directions and you actually do need guidance on saying, Hey, this stuff here is fluff. This stuff over here is you know, poison. You know, you want the, the good stuff you want. This is the strength and conditioning knowledge you want to know. And this is how the skills that you want to work on. So Mike was really good uh, for that with me. And then, you know, I look at other really good coaches, sport coaches that I was around mm -hmm. At, uh, at BC High, elsewhere, that just the way they carried themselves, the way they organized, the way they managed, uh, those are the people that I tried to emulate. And those were my mentors. And, I didn't and know you worked with the Ram phone. That's super cool. Mm -hmm. um, I, didn't, well, I didn't work with them, but yeah. well, we coached football together. Okay. I never worked at his gym, but we were football coaches. But still, to have that relationship where he's saying, you know, as a direct line, especially to have that kind of setting for, I mean, you mentioned Dan John, I'm going to have to give him a shout out at some point. Cause I just, I, I love him. I think he's hilarious. I just watched one of his, um, uh, national strength and conditioning coaches association lecture from 2015. That is, is just amazing. Do you but, like him? I have a bunch of other presentations. Oh, good. Like yeah, I know. Well, this is the thing. You, you two are the library and, and you're, you're, you've developed this incredible skill of synthesizing it and knowing how to communicate it. Uh, but what about you, Matt? Who were, so I feel in, especially in coaching, regardless of, you know, what avenue you coach or teach or whatever, knowing what not to do is almost just as valuable as learning what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and Steve and I grew up in like, right in the, like the transition from quote unquote old school football to new school football. Yeah. So we had a few coaches who... You know, you, you look back on and say, I, I don't want to be like that guy. I don't like the way he made me also, feel. Also critical, the not to do. Right. Especially in coaching. So, yeah, like, we like looking back saying, I don't want to be like this guy. This guy made me feel terrible. You know, I didn't like this guy. This guy made me nervous to play. And you know as well as I do that, you know, you, you're – you don't play well when you're nervous. You play well when you're comfortable. Um, but <laughs> so me. I had a couple of coaches in college who were who not from the interpersonal relationship side, but just in the demeanor of their coaching. I try to model myself a little bit after, but then at the same time, I take the shortcomings that 
I feel that they had in my personal situation and then I try to apply them to how I coach to make sure that I don't do that. You know, so I, it's one of those things where if you are in this situation enough where you're either coaching, teaching, learning a new skill, you'll look back to people who either taught you the skill or taught you in general and you'll think, okay, I really liked this teacher in the fourth grade because they, or I really didn't like this coach in the eighth grade because he, you know, like there's always, you know, that th there's give and takes from every personality that you can kind of, and I feel like that's what every person is in general. It's just a combination of the funny jokes they've heard, the people that they keep, like the movies that they watched, all of that is just a combination. So, yeah. I, and I call that like capital D diet because that's all of your inputs, right. conversation, entertainment, educate, whatever it is. Like you, and then you're some some product of that. I one one thing I'm I'm curious about, and and you know if you have a bookmark in that, but this idea of your staff and like and like your coaching team because I I think people. Everyone's got coworkers, family. On that level, it's people you. I think everyone can, um, you know, really connect with that because sometimes it's people who you don't want there, but you know, someone else has hired them, or they have a connect, or it's someone that you know. Maybe you're in a position of leadership where you do get to add to your own staff, be more selective. Um, did you Did you guys have good examples of what a good coaching staff looks like and how you? Manage that probably tough to pay attention to when you're an athlete just dealing with these coaches. Yeah, well, one -on -one, in, co but. in college, we didn't really have a, a strength and conditioning staff. Yeah, we, we okay. had we had one coach take us through, you know, the the lifting program, and that that set my foundation thinking a certain way, mm -hmm. like right off the bat. But usually a football coach who lifted weights. Right. Is, well, is, well, this, this, this particular was, uh, guy was CSC. Like I look back on our program and I think for the time, what we did was pretty good. Right. But as far as the staff goes, that wasn't really at the forefront uh, until I started, you know, doing uh, like the personal training and I worked at a training facility before and all that. When certain people come in, um, and you just know right off the bat, all right, this doesn't work well. Or like with it, like you see them do either a session or a couple of weeks, or see them train one person for a long time or whatever, and you just go, I don't think this is a good fit. You know, like purple uh, people can know, you know the the X's and O's, but unless you can communicate and get along with the Jimmys and the Joes, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Like, I mean, your, your, your communication is heightened usually by your coaching voice, and we're grateful that you're using your indoor <laughs> voice right now. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, that fact alone, you guys talk all day long, and I'm sure you are not unconscious of what's coming out of your mouth. I, I don't get that impression of you, too. You, you know what you're saying, how you're saying it. You've learned over the years, how is this going to land? Um, I try to be really careful of the words that I use. I, um, Me not so much. I, uh, <laughs> no, as a, as a teacher and a coach, like if I say something to a kid, and that kid could turn him off. That could turn a kid off from fitness for life. Yeah. You don't know, and, and I, I, or it could just like crush a kid's confidence, and that kid goes home and is like, you know what, I don't like. I'm not going to try in school because my mm, teacher's this a jerk. Is a absolute perfect example. 
because I have made that mistake in the past where regardless of either what was going on in my day or the chaotic environment, what I don't know what it was, right? But I know for a fact that, you know, in an effort to get somebody to do something, I snapped at somebody, you know, somewhere mm. along the line. And somewhere along the line, one or more of those people gone, I don't want to train with him. And that's been a huge huge learning experience for me and how I communicate especially to the masses at BCI yeah. Steve helped me that, that a lot Steve and Mark Stonkis when I worked at MBX both of them had a look where they would kind of give me that would be like a <laughs> yeah why don't you tone it back a little bit you know what I mean like a couple of those and then you know luckily or not luckily but if I they're becoming fewer and further between but every once in a while, I'll leave the weight room at BC High and go, shoot, I shouldn't have said that to that kid. Maybe it was me. Or did this kid understand that I was talking about this when I said that? You know what I mean? Like I've had the, like I leave and I'm, I'm like, um, I'm over analytical by nature, you know? Yeah, I always, I mean, I always told you not to be so hard on yourself because I, um, we all, we all make mistakes and. I mean, there are kids I tra- I probably said some things too. Um, being a middle school teacher, like patience is something I have to have. But I also don't have to push myself around in a wheelchair all day. I don't know how much patience I would have yeah. if I had to do that and live in like a, the, the way Matt has to live. I don't think I'd, I would have the patience I would have. So, the you know, I can sit here and say, hey, be patient, you know, be kind. But, you know. I can walk I, around. I think that's what's so beautiful, Matt. It's a reason, but it's not an excuse. You know what I mean? Like that's kind, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I won't give myself. And see, like if I if I had a bad day for whatever insert X here happened, right? And I turned that around and for whatever reason, you know, snapped at somebody. You know, I can't chalk that up to like, oh well, you know what I mean? That kid doesn't know that. All that kid knows is what any coaching experience has made him feel in the moment. A high school kid, like me, I I ask Steve. I go into a conversation mad about something, then Steve gets mad about it, and then I flip around and argue against myself. (laughs) Uh, Like, I just know that my initial reaction is probably always going to be the wrong one, and I should, like, learn to, like, chill and think for a little bit before before I speak. Um, so, you know, learning how to do that has been, you know, very valuable. That's a beautiful level of awareness though, which supports my belief that that's what it takes to be an impactful coach. You can't just do things my way and have the staff that tells me, you know, I'm always right. Be ignorant to its impact. I mean, hopefully you're paying attention enough where you can get that feedback, but that's been especially evident with you because you are, you know, are still in the weight rooms, Matt, is I see that. I see that softening, that awareness from you where... There are a lot of guys from your year that have talked about that. Really? Okay. My, my brother, too, how I've changed... I mean, it's been, what, since Steve and I started coaching, probably, you know, I started being a trainer like, 07, 08. Yeah, fall of 07, we started coaching together. So, like, so, yeah, there's... um. There's definitely been... If, if you're not looking at yourself from the fall of 07 and 08, either embarrassed about who you were or, like, 
you know, judgment of yourself, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you know, like you haven't developed much as a person. Or well, it's absolutely how I feel being, you know, at that time a 14, 15 year old. And, you know, I, I, I said this, I remember uh, at Namdi Albuquerque's Hall of Fame induction for BC High Athletic Hall of Fame. I, he was my senior mentor in my homeroom. And that's just pure serendipity. I had no choice over that. But, um, you know, getting to know him as I, as I did and then playing football with his brothers and being connected to that family, I remember saying to him, what I loved about your example and, and the example of young men going through this school is that despite that, you know, despite this time where you are trying to, you know, at breakneck speed, growing up, trying to do things, caught up in your ego, all, all the things that are fun about that time, BC High, and luckily thanks to a lot of the teachers and coaches that they uh, employed there, gives you an amazing roadmap. It doesn't give you every answer. It doesn't show you every door to walk through this one and you're mature and you're a man, but the map is pretty great there, uh, I, I think. Yeah, well, the map, you know, we could talk about as far as the, the end game, the goal, the destination, there's a lot of good people. You know, we were fortunate to be in the atmosphere of a lot of good people who had a clue on how to develop young men and what it was important yeah. to develop. You know, like there's not a lot of people or, 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 you know, that's not something that we should take for granted, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it does. It gives you like, man, I want to be like that guy. That's what I want players or our guys to be with us. Like they want to be like us. And then this is what we're trying, you know, to establish on a day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year basis, you know, with the guys we coach is putting guys in place where the young guys can go, I want to be like that guy. You are, you are setting me up so beautifully. You, you two are totally on my vibe. And, and give me a shout if you do want to take a break. I mean, we, we okay. have that freedom. Right. But if, if, if we're still rocking, let's keep on rocking because this is a question I ask. Any, any leader I can get my hands on. I started with my dad who coached me in my youth, but I like to bring it to lots of people from different walks is, do you think these days we need more role models or heroes? And, and I'm curious if you have or know that distinction between the two. I was going to ask you, I was curious what your distinction was. I mean, the, the one that I've come up with is, you know, the, the value of heroes is you do see the extreme or best version of a value or of a principle something you strive towards yeah in, in superman it's, captain america yeah i mean I, you know yeah. someone brought up the example of sully who was the airplane captain who right, said, i mean yeah. th- these heroic things that in this day and age those people don't just they don't get the shine that they deserve for being courageous calm whatever those values are we see them in an extreme situation and then role model i mean i think we might all agree is the day-to-day, is the consistency of character saying, I'm, I'm, I'm with this coach every day or five days a week, and, and I, I think I want to be like him because he's, he's walking that walk. So more, more or more of both. I mean, what do you think, Steve? I mean, I think, I think role models, you could be a really good role model and, and never really do something, you know, typically heroic, like save a baby from oncoming traffic or a cat from the tree or like, or, you know, get someone out of a burning building or, you know, what there are, there are people that do heroic acts every day. Um, but the idea of a hero, I mean, I guess I, I just don't know. I just don't, 
I'm unclear on like what a hero means to me, but I I, I think that's part know. of it. I think they're hard to come by. Yeah, and but I do know role models. I mean, I don't. There's some research out there, a lot actually, that shows if you have at least one role model besides your parents growing up, mm. you're the the likelihood of you, you know, performing well in school and really achieving your dreams are like vastly greater if you have at least one role model. So that I think is, if we can get more role models for more people, I mean, I think that is, I think we need, definitely need more role models. And um, yeah, heroes, I'm, I'm not sure, but role models, yes. Um, I think we, I think we have plenty of heroes They're all over Instagram. Just go to Instagram, they'll tell, they'll tell you oh, all yeah, those yeah. people who are yeah. heroes. You know, whether it be, uh. You know, Johnny, who just got his max, you know, up to 185, posted, <laughs> or, you know, whatever. There's plenty of heroes, right? Like, so-and-so saved a cat from a burning tree, whatever, right? A role model and a hero is an endgame, right? A hero, to me at least, is, is step Z. Right, the role model takes you through A, B, C, D all the way through. Mm -hmm. Right, so I guess that answers your question. Right, like what kids see now is the end game. They see the guy doing a squat on a Swiss ball. I'm not saying he's a hero, but follow the game here. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. like they they see it, but they have no idea how they got to that point. Like, they see kids committing to Division One football. They have no idea how they got to that point. They see, you know, the end result. They have no idea the muck and the crap that everybody had to crawl through in order to get it. And that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning where, you know, it's, you know, you gotta, it's success is built on top of failures. It's not built on top of successes. You know what I mean? People F up all the time and that's how they succeed. You know, so I think people need more of the day-to-day. -day. Like I want to be able to lean, or lean into a freshman, you know, at BC High and just say, hey man, you see that kid over there? I want you to copy everything and do exactly like he does. You know, and yeah. that is so valuable, right? So valuable because now they're going, Oh, okay, I see. Oh, that kid's going to this Division One school. Yeah. Nice. Now I'm going to see how he does that every day in the weight room or whatever. I also think role models, and what makes a great role model is just discipline. And <clears throat> watching someone day in and day out just do what they need to do, help people, um, you know, provide for their family, work a job. You know, these are like, you, you can... There's so many different variations of role models that you can see around, but oftentimes we, you know, whether we watch too many superhero movies, but we, we think a role model has to be something extraordinary, out of the box, you know, fairy tale, comic book, but a role model is really, you can see them anywhere. That's why I think, I, I think role models are just... I think a role model is more like a, um, 
I mean, now that we're just talking it out here, yeah, um, exactly. It's yeah. more of a demonstration of consistency than it is doing yep. anything. It's like never too high, never too low, mm-hmm. just like very centered. He does the things that's really, really easy to do that are also really, really easy to skip out on. Shopping cart theory, right? Yep. Easy, yep. Easy, uh, hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, hard life. Right. You know, the road less traveled leads to, you know, higher success rates, yeah. you know, yeah, often, higher successes. Oftentimes role models don't get noticed. Heroes usually get noticed. This is, and, and this Another is, this is and part that, of it. And it's, it, it's problematic that every, people think they need to be heroes to be noticed. They think being a role model is not oh, enough the, to be the noticed. The notice, man. Is and like, just exactly. you get that, like, validation or um, praise from whoever... Hey, look at me. I did something awesome today. Yeah. You know. And then there's the nuance of that where why is so-and-so saying, look at me? Do they not get it from somewhere else? Are they trying? Like, like mm-hmm. I know kids that don't get it at home, so I know for a fact that I have to be, you know, just embellishing in my praise and really, you know, making sure that they know that I was happy with the small success that they got that day. There are other guys who all they get done is get, you know, at the house, everyone says, oh, you're a division one athlete. You're, you're so great. You're so great. And sometimes it might be like, okay, maybe so, but can we concentrate on this right here, right now? It doesn't matter what yeah. you do three weeks from now. It matters now, you know? So once again, the role model, you know, is somebody who's just a, a, a measure of consistency of constantly doing the right things. Maybe they make a mistake, you know, but it was in an effort to do the right thing. Or it was a mistake and they go, oh man, I screwed that up. I got to get right back on track. Yeah. That's what a role model does. And, that, and that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, I don't have the answer to that question. I wanted to talk it out with people like yourselves, I mean, because I, I think you two are very consistent. You you are you know your role as leader, especially in an environment of exclusively young men. I mean, I, I, I cannot wait to ex- expound on that more at any occasion I get to talk about what it was like to grow up around other men. And, and so, I mean, this leads me to my next question, which I've been really keen to get to. Um, and, and use your discretion and, and as much thought as you as you need to for this. But do you think it's and it's not a unique question? But do you think kids have changed? You know, you you've been working with a particular group set of young men and athletes for years now. Uh, are kids changing? Are parents changing more? And then I guess option C would be like, are the time you know is it just a a sign of the times? But um, well, I'm not. I can only address it as far as like who I've coached. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, you want to take that one first? Kind of a good flow. You go, yeah. I go. You go, I go. This is what a conversation. Because remind us, Steve, um, you've been a teacher for fifteen years, right? Yeah, 15 so he years. probably has yeah. a better insight into the day to day. I can only tell you what my experience is. Kids, I I think kids have always been the same. They're okay. they're always, you know, they're young, they're growing they're a product of society around them and it's society around them that's changing you know, whether that's social media technology when i first started teaching there was they didn't have ipads they didn't really have walk around with a lot of kids didn't walk around with phones the way society influences the kids these days does a lot of damage you were just talking about the wiring being yeah but yeah yeah 
I, I mean, I was just saying, I, I, it bugs me when people knock kids. It really annoys me because, you know, we hear a lot of typically old school coaches be like, you know, kids these days, they're soft, they're not tough. I'm like, have you ever had to deal with, you know, people bullying you bullying on social media or like you, because both your parents have to work like long jobs that you have to at home, you're, you're on technology and now you have this thing where you can't help yourself, but you have to be on it. Like, I just feel people are too hard in some ways on kids, not to say like kids aren't, they're all different, but I think, I think it's hard to knock kids given all. And, and we know from the social dilemma, uh, assuming you've seen it by now yeah. and, and maybe you have, but I haven't seen it, but I know the general formula. Yeah. I mean, just so much momentum goes against kids. I mean, when you, when you get caught up in that world. So yeah, I mean, I duly noted the, the overwhelming power of never really being able to unplug like so much of well, your you life. I think is, too, not only does social media, you know, create insecurities and kids are constantly in contact. So bullying that took place at six hours during school is now a 24 hour thing. You know, where you just, okay, go home and, oh, man, I'm getting made fun of again, right? So there's that aspect of it, right? But there's also the scroll culture aspect of it, which is, like, if is it, it it's kids won't remember the warm-up unless we specifically write it down, yeah. put it on the board, and say, this is what you do, right? Like, they have recall, like, oh, yeah, I remember I've got to do my ankle mobility, right? But they don't have... You know, they didn't learn it, you know. So literally just the scroll culture. And I include myself in that, you know, because, you know, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll scroll social media. And I'll be like, okay, five more scrolls and then I'm done. Five, Okay, five more scrolls and then I'm done. And you're like, ooh, that one's cool. Okay, now five more. And then by the time you're like, Jesus, it's an extra ten minutes. Like, yeah. And then, you know, we talk about what we do with continuing education and all mm -hmm. that. I'll go through, I don't know about you, but I go through a course and then I'm like, I have to read that entire thing again. I, I have recall if it's not multiple choice questions, yeah. you know, so the kids are in that exact same boat, you know, so everything's kind of moving a little bit faster. Every generation has to deal with stuff that their parents' generation didn't have you, to deal with before. When, when you become a teacher, one of the main principles they tell you is you have to meet the kids where they are and that's like, day one stuff of being a teacher and the people that's a good fundamental though yeah and, and usually the coaches and the the people who knock kids for being soft or weak or, or just different in some way really they don't even try to meet the kids where they are they don't they they're not open to growing themselves yeah they are very closed-minded they are comfortable and they don't want to say okay this is the life that they're experiencing, let me let me go to their level, let me meet them where they are, and let me you know, spend a day in their shoes and right. see how you know soft it really is. Now there are modern conveniences that have you know obviously changed things, but I, I just feel I feel passionately about people knocking kids, and it's just you, you know the kid they don't I'm really glad I asked. they don't really have a lot of autonomy. You're a kid. When you're, even when you're in high school, you got a little bit of freedom to figure out things for yourself and for, do things for, for yourself. For me, it was a lot because it was like going to college. I mean, mm -hmm. going you know, 80, 90 miles from the Cape every day, that was the first excuse I had to get a, a cell phone because I'm calling my parents you know, 
we're leaving the bus now or I missed the bus because of practice. I mean, so, so fair enough, but I'm with you, man. I mean, I think it's a lot to hang it on kids, you know, being the product of their environment and just remembering, you know, only being 10 years removed from that. It is a breakneck pace. There's a lot you're trying to figure out for yourself. I mean, I, I, I go ahead. Well, it's like trying to change a tire on a car when the car is moving. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's like that way in the weight room. Where it's Coaches like, are so good with analogies. Where, where, I'm, I'm so good, glad for where that. It's like in the weight room, like first day of the year, the football team shows up to training camp. And for the most part, we don't know where they train, what they did over the summer. And it's like, okay, in-season lift begins on Tuesday. And yeah. it's like, well, some of these kids haven't been lifting at all. Some of these kids don't know anything and they just go to like FamFit or a FamFit, uh, Planet Fitness. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, then other guys are, you know, working out at Boyle's place or with Cressy or whoever, like high end level places, you know? So there's that, but you also got to think, yes, kids are like this because they are products of their environment, the influence, all of that, right? They're not going to change. What are we as coaches going to do? to be more to be able to communicate better to them when they are like this because guess what Timmy, Tommy, Joey and Mikey are not getting off social media and all of a sudden going to join the football team and you know be hardos and you know all that right it's like how am I as a coach going to learn how to communicate to somebody one thing that we ended up doing your last year is like wait you guys are on Instagram all the time here are like 25 good Instagram accounts to follow. If, I, lo- I love when you did that. If yeah. that's where your education, for if real. that's where you're getting your education, go into the internet and go into Instagram for, you know, fitness information is like going to a fire hydrant for a sip of water. <laughs> right? It's our job to Seriously. kind of boil it down yeah. to like a bubbler, you know? But, but I also love that idea of an adaptable pivot like that, especially if they're scrolling and like, they see, you know, they're a baseball player and they see from Cressy Sports Performance like this shoulder mobility that you can do on the foam roller while you're watching TV at home. Like if that kid uh, drops down, puts his phone down, you know, success, goes to grab the foam. right? I reach that Huge kid. Win. And if I say, hey, you know, Johnny, follow these five Instagram accounts, then now I get sent something from that account that's, you know, it, it's something that whoever Cressy posted that we also do or something that one of these other coaches does it's like hey yeah that's what we're doing now that's what that's going to lead into and now i have buy-in right so like if i go if i say you know oh you you you're a big you know whatever if you like you know west side barbell right and you're a big powerlifting guy I can say, you know, here, follow Louis Simmons, follow, you know, Matt Wenning, follow Dave Tate, these guys, right? And then, you know, if, you know, you're a hockey guy, I can say, hey, follow Boyle, because this is where a lot of Boyle. So now you're speaking to them in their own language, right? Um, so now, again, that creates buy-in, you know? Yeah. So Because you, you met them with humility. I mean, to say... You know, I'm 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 going to speak your language and connect you with other great coaches. You know, I, I I think that's especially helpful. I know Steve. One of your answers to meeting kids where they are was developing the Armast system. Um, and and one of my questions for you both was, 
essentially how do you prioritize the different levels of fitness and conditioning, strength, mobility, resilience. So, you know, I know one of your answers was Arma. So tell, um, tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like the way Mike Boyle strength and conditioning does this and they have buckets in this is, I love this image and it's out there that they have a movement bucket, you have a strength bucket, you have a speed and power bucket and you have a conditioning bucket and all creating a program and, and this putting fitness into place is figuring out which bucket needs to be filled and how much and at what time. And really, uh, your question was about what qualities of fitness to focus on. Yeah, how you prioritize that and, yeah. and systematize it too. Um, I mean, Matt and I would look at how old the kids are, whether they're young, they're beginners. We would look, we would do more of a seasonal approach. So we would treat, we, we kind of had to do all, a lot of teams similar. So we had the lacrosse and rugby teams work out together. Mm -hmm. We had the football team and the soccer team work out together. We had, you know, wrestling and basketball and hockey in a group. So it was seasonal teams so that their fitness qualities in their off season, we could progress, move from one bucket, put more water into one bucket each season that they prepare for their season, their, their competition. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but it's it's really actually pretty simple. I mean, it's like <laughs> well, I, I strength, look, strength look at what they're not doing and do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much what it is. You know, it's it once you are into the field, it's really it's simple, but it's not easy. And then you have to sell simple. So we have to tell kids that see things Gosh. on Instagram and yeah. YouTube and watch you know bodybuilding videos and all this crazy stuff we have to be like, Hey, these six exercises are the best to just do those, you know, we're, you know, look at our program here. They're like, Oh, this is, you know, I, I watched this video on Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> like, yeah, so, so I'm going to do this bodybuilding stuff instead, or, you know, I'm going to max out my back squat today because I got this program from this place. And most of Matt and I's job is just to, to triage, those issues and kind of bring people back in. So we had to sell simple and selling simple is, you know, can be difficult yeah. when, especially when there's so many things out there, yeah. especially like teaching a kid, like for example, uh, just because someone's a senior in the football team does not know how they, they can squat. And by saying, Hey, you need to take the bar off your back and just let's do some body weight squats. And let's really work on your form here. Let's go down to goblet squats. Some kids would be like, uh, I'm out of here. I'm going to train oh, at my I, home gym. Heart, we, all, we all say check your ego at the door. Like you, like it's something you can just hang up there. You know, you guys know it's so much fun to max your squat. It's yep. a blast to bench with your buddies. And like, and, it, and if coach is saying, no, your shoulders are jacked. You should be doing like some dumbbell press over here. You mm -hmm. got to have you doing kettlebell front squats with your heels elevated because you can't put it all together humbling say the least yeah and you have kids who, earlier and earlier thinking they're more advanced than they are yeah and that's like they i said selling start they start doing third base stuff thinking they hit a triple yeah. when in reality you just went still the base you, didn't do yeah. you know yeah. so it's a, you're built on this foundation of quicksand right and uh there's so much room Adaptation at the beginning, I heard this analogy recently, is like 
is like a toothpaste tube, right? Anything you do in the beginning, you're going to get toothpaste out of that toothpaste tube. You're going to get an adaptation, right? If you do a crappy workout program, right, you're going to get an adaptation, especially in high school because, you know, puberty and your testosterone, we all know how that works, right? Um, but as you get closer to the end, you have to start finagling ways to get toothpaste. It has to be a lot more precise, you know, to do that. So... For the most part, Great in, in our yeah. set, thanks, dude. <laughs> thanks, dude. I uh, listen to it myself. <laughs> uh, but the people who listen to this podcast are only going to listen to it. And yeah. Quote me. <laughs> um, but uh, no. So going back to what you were saying, there's this concept called vertical integration. That's just fancy trainer words for all elements of program are present in your training throughout the year. Just based on the time of year, you know, it depends on in what doses and at what frequency, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if if we are, you know, preseason, right? Like, if we're, you know, six weeks out from the season, or, you know, I'm going to start prioritizing and doing more speed and field work and, you know, less volume of stuff in the weight room, right? In the beginning, you know, right in the off season, we're going to prioritize regaining movement function, you know, like full range of motion and everything, you know, so depending once again on the time of year, you know, we could be doing, you know, three sets of cleans, or we could be doing five sets of cleans, you know, all depending on what quality we're trying to work on. But then there's always qualities that are in there, you know, like uh, mobility will always be there. Um, And then we always try to do, um, you know, some sort of explosive training, like mm-hmm. I said. Um, so we just constantly are giving kids doses of what they want, what they need, and, you know, what they're not getting a lot of, you know. So that's also, like, a major consideration. Yeah. Those, those fitness qualities, we, going back to having to meet the kids where they are, Matt and I really wanted kids to train with us. And if they left, like, that's cool. We would not shame them or, you know, make them feel sure. We'd be like, as, as long as you're lifting, that's awesome. And training and doing things, that's awesome. But we wanted them to work with us. Now, if we said to a kid, hey, I know you want a back squat, but we're going to do reps of body weight squat for you for like three weeks, they'd probably leave. Some would. Some would stay. And the ones that stay, those are the ones that are going to be really good. Yeah. And those are the ones that you got for years, but you have to build that trust. And mm-hmm. that takes a long time for Matt and I to build trust with a student athlete in the weight room where they trust us enough to say, okay, I want a back squat. Back squat looks cool. All my friends are back squatting, but I'm going to do these body weight squats with like a plate in front with my heels on, on a, you know, a lift. And I'm going to do this for three weeks. And because I trust Matt and Steve have my best interests at heart. But that's, you know, like I said, that relationship is you have to build that uh, rapport and you have to establish that and they have to see results and see other people have results. So that's big is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we are fortunate enough where Steve's been around, you know, for a long time. And then I have, you know, for a long time where we have examples of that or we had examples of that in the weight room. Right when when Steve was there, it was. I mean, we have examples of it now. Just, mm-hmm. but yeah. where we could look at it and say, "See that kid over there? He's doing a single leg RDL with 
200 pounds. He started by doing this single leg RDO with a reach the same way that you did, right? So this leads there. And making sure they understand the end game is the first step in establishing a path to it, right? Like yeah. if you don't understand, if you're on a team and they you can't all the players don't say what the goal is, one common goal, then how do you know what direction you're pulling, right? So that's one thing where I believe me and Steve eventually got good, but we weren't there in the beginning where it was. We didn't explain well enough where the road was going. Mm -hmm. So that could have been another reason why kids walk right. The BC High weight room is, what, 1,200 square feet? Yeah. Not exactly an ideal environment to work in, especially in large groups. Yeah. So we use that to practice certain things. Like, hey, fellas, you know, let's take a football team. Like, Friday nights is going to be chaotic. Learn how to work in that chaotic environment. Learn how to focus here when there's a lot of stuff going on around you. This is a good environment to do that, right? But that's, once again, something we had to sell. When I was working at MBX, you walked into the facility. It's a 7,000-square-foot facility. Right, turf, half turf, you got power racks and this and that. Looks like an NFL weight room, right? I yeah. need to sell anybody on that facility. You want to come train here? Yep. Mm. Right, so it's different. But once again, the, the first step, and we've all heard this, is they don't care how much they know, you know until you know how much you care. Yeah. Right, and it sounds cliche, it sounds corny, but like... I have gotten, like, I, I make it a specific question. I ask if either I get new clientele or if I'm trying to connect with a player is, is who are the best coaches you've had and why, right? I'm not proud enough. Steve's not proud enough to, to not adopt a quality that another coach had because it worked with a kid, yeah. right? Like, kid could be like, oh, this coach knew when I was, you know, calling BS and he would just get on me. Some kids know they need that. Right, other kids were like, "Well, no, he he saw I did something wrong, and he took me to the side and he talked to me about it versus lambasting me." That's a handy bit of information to know. Gathering information on all of these guys so that you can have a more one-on-one -on -one approach to your coaching, you know, is also. Well, I, I think you know that from that cliche that it's. I mean, I, I just came across this recently, but it's because people can hear that and say, you know, uh, until they know how much you care. That care could just be about my job or strength training in general, I believe you two embody the quality of that care is about the kid. That care is about, do they trust me? Are they gonna keep training with us? And I mean, you you two, like I said, I, I know you em, embody these values and I appreciate you keeping that somewhat broad because I mean, I, I would love to get technical and I, I, I think it's worth not glossing over just the idea of periodization and with that, that coinciding with your goals, logistics, a calendar year, when's your season, you know, what, what, what kind of shape do you want to be in before the season, in the season, recovering after. I mean, that, that's a very technical thing, but the takeaways for a lot of people, I mean, I'm inspired by having just watched Dan John talk about the post youth client. And one of the questions he opens with is, how, questions plural, how old are you and what are your goals? And one of the things that's really interesting that he brings up in terms of how old are you, different from where you two are at, but follow me because it might be related. He says, you know, if you're talking to a, a post-youth athlete client, say they're in their late 20s and beyond, in their mind, they're not just the person 
that you are seeing them as today. They could easily still be the 18-year-old when they tell you about their last football game and I had 10 catches for 100 yards. I mean, and, and they think they still have that capacity within them. You, you may encounter kids who are... It's that movie. The guy who's like a state champ. Um, Friday Night Lights. Uh, no, no. Oh, uh, oh. Napoleon. Napoleon. Uh, Napoleon. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah. Okay, that's a good one, state man. <laughs> well, I uh, I actually who was I? Uh, I had an experience with this recently. I can't remember who it was. I'm obviously not going like, to name drop him here, but he was like, "Yeah, well, I I squatted four. You should be able to squat four oh five. I was like, yeah, me too, kiddo. You know, it doesn't matter what you were able to do, you know, 20 years ago. Oh. All right, we need to, like you said, meet the kids where they're at. It's the exact same thing in strength and conditioning, where in the adults, especially adult males, are the exact same way as adult boys, which is they put too, many, too much weight on, too much ego, too much testosterone. I want to bench like I used to, right? Where... You know, females are more of the stronger than you look. You know, like you need to explain, especially to the adult female who has never lifted, you know, like you are a lot stronger than you look. You can get this for this heavy weight for five. Yeah. With the boys, it's the exact opposite. It's like, you know, you're not as strong as you think you are. <laughs> you know, so. And to the female it, clients, it's also, you'll move this way and I promise you, you won't need to. Go up a, a dress size for a right. so you're not it's gonna just, bulk up. That's like, like that. Think that, you are. That's like putting ramen in the microwave and then like <laughs> like worrying about becoming a master chef. You know, it just doesn't. It just doesn't line up. No. You know, but yeah, as far as dealing with you know the older clientele, you know, if you and most people, you know, if you can give them stuff where they can do a certain thing that they've wanted to do but haven't been able to because of pain, that's going to build buy-in. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Right? So, like, if you sit there and say, like, if they're like, oh, I, I can't do push-ups. I can't get on the floor to do push-ups. It hurts my shoulder. It's like, okay, cool. Can we put this block down and then you do a push-up and it's limited range? Does that hurt? No. You're a wizard. You know what I mean? Like, well, and this is the value of coaching and, and this is where you two are experts in my world is that level of problem-solving because you've had not just the education, but the experience. I wanted to come back around to something you said, Matt, which I believe to the depths of my soul and spirit that when pe people talk about manipulating or improving the mind-body connection, oh yeah, you gotta improve the mind-body connection, you gotta improve it or be more aware of it. Nothing to touch there because we have a mind-body, right? Like they are right. inextricably, there's nothing you can do to manipulate. So, so when I think about all, all these environmental things that we're talking about, times, tools, all that stuff, there's there's a quote that stuck in my mind, and I forget, it's, it's wrong of me not to attribute it, but it comes from coaching, and I wanted to get your response to this as like a true or false, or just how you react to it, is that people need to be reminded more than instructed. How do 100%. you- 100%. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I, in my opinion, well, you might have a different opinion, but I, I, but I think it's interesting that that was pretty immediate for you. you know, yeah, for um, because if if there isn't one, then there isn't anything. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, tell me the quote again. People need to be reminded right. more than instructed. Well, think about it. You instruct somebody and you do it once. That's an instruction. Mm -hmm. Everything from there 
in my opinion, the way that we it was immediate. See, I told you, like ninety percent of the time, like my immediate reactions. <laughs> so probably argue. This is why we're myself. talking now. This is why I argue against myself. <laughs> but no, the way I look at it is that every other time that you know we're going over, it's oh, remember you have to do X. That remember this is step two. This is step. That's a reminder. You're not instructing it. I don't know. That's just my thought, yeah. Steve. You I don't know. Uh, instruction is is pretty complex because you do need really good instruction, and that requires more than just hey, I'm going to show you this. Do it. It's because uh, you haven't really taught it unless they've learned it. Yeah, you you have you exactly right. You haven't really taught it unless someone has actually learned it. See how like I'm a. Yeah. I'm a school teacher. I, I try different things all day in the in the classroom trying to teach, instruct, but maybe they're not listening, maybe I'm not doing a good job, maybe my I'm too confusing, maybe I'm not differentiating my instruction enough, maybe, you know, mix in writing videos, reading, speaking, these type of things. Um, instruction is really complicated. You and there are books about the science of actually communicating how to teach movement and teach mm -hmm. exercise. Uh, I mean, Nick Winkleman wrote that whole language enormous coaching, tech, language right? of coaching, yeah. the whole textbook about instruction and teaching uh, how to do something. And so I think instruction is incredibly important and not to be underplayed, but I, I think there is, yes, people do need after they're instructed, if they are instructed correctly, and if they have the motivation, they don't need as many reminders. So your internal and intrinsic motivation is key when learning something. Mm -hmm. How motivated am I to learn it and then practice it on my own? You need less reminders the more motivated you are and the better instruction you get early on. So, you know, the people that I work with, there are some that, uh, even adults right now, that I will, I'll go over things, I'll instruct them on things, and they'll be like, you know, Steve, just, just give me the program and tell me what to do. And I'm like, okay. It, but that person but, but not, knowing that about that person yeah is, is helpful in that scenario. absolutely I right? but I know that person's going to need instruction because when you get good instruction you know looking at a sheet of paper okay Steve wrote this on my program but I'm at a commercial gym at 6 p.m. at night and I don't have access to that like what do I do so yes you could write instruction includes it's, it's general principles. Like, okay, you're going to do a squat today. That's your main lift of the day. You show up at the gym, there's no racks available. Well, you grab a dumbbell, you do some goblet squats, or you do some, you do some type of squat. So instruction is, includes a lot of different things. And reminders are, you do need, people do need to be held accountable and have accountability partners and, need reminders but yeah the key is instruction and well, i think that's really important and, I, and i'll just you I'll know just, you can you can see this is what i'm talking about yeah yeah no he's 100 percent right where instruction hasn't happened unless the person has learned it properly and, and, and reminders are necessary of instruction and well i'll jump into to say and just make a further distinction like because you because you gave a great example of this if, if someone hits you guys up and says Steve just give me a program and tell me what to do I mean I'm sure you've had a lifetime of that um, I think like an, inst an instructor or just just someone facilitating that role or service 
of the tell me what to do is doesn't the person doing that is not making as much of a difference as the coach who is also showing you the how and the why we're doing this. I will give you the instruction and then as we're going along, a part of how I'm going to bolster how this lands with you so that someday you don't need me, so that I'm, I'm giving you principles, because principles are few, methods are many, right? I mean, you, you, you need the cores. I think it's the coaches, which is how you two have distinguished yourselves so incredibly, is you're into the process and the how and why. Here's my instruction, and then we're going to talk about you know, the specific how and, and why. And do you have a client or who just isn't interested and is just like, hey, yeah. like give me the program and you know, all that, then... I know you can adapt then, to that then you, then you can do it, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And then every once in a while you send them a video and say, this is why we X, right? This is why we do it like this. This is the article I was talking about if you're, you know, you're pooping and you got time to read it or whatever. Yeah. You know, little things like that. Again, this is how... If you know that that's how your clientele learns, i.e., you know, teenagers, handy bit of information to have to know that they're like, hey, I, I, I did continuing education today. I looked at Instagram. It's like, no, that's not how it works. But if that's how you learn, shoot me a text with it, you know, or DM me with the, the video, and then we can go over, you know, why, why not, whatever. Um, also, when you think of instruction... It's not just, I mean, Matt and I actually fall into this trap. Sometimes we instruct too much. And we talk like, it's not like we love yeah. to hear ourselves talk, but we are very passionate about fitness yeah. and, and strength and conditioning. And sometimes Matt and I can be like, okay, your ankle should do this, your hips should just do this, you do this. Hands, and we, we go and we instruct too much. And then it, it, that's no good. Yeah. So you want to, there's a whole science behind it, but you instruct, you know, uh, do this, don't do this, do this, you know, and then show. Like a sandwich, right? Where it's like, yeah. you did X, like, so if you're doing a clean, I can say, like, Tom, your starting position was absolutely outstanding. Now, when you brought the bar up, it drifted a little further away from your body, mm -hmm. right? But the explosion was really good. So there's like that sandwich, that criticism sandwich in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like you're disguising, Genius. you're disguising the, you know, the little you can do better because then you also, I know, again, kids who have parents or coaches or whoever who are like, regardless how good as something was, it's okay, you could do this better, but you didn't do this, but you didn't do this. That's very difficult. And it's a whole sandwich of that. Of, you know, you so came up giving, short. You're giving them that positive reaffirmation, but you're also saying, okay, don't be satisfied here because we still got to do this better, but you're coming along. You know what I mean? Um, that is another way, you know, that, again, communication. You you ever written a five-paragraph essay? I sure have. All right. That's like your standard, <laughs> like, high school thing. If your English teacher or social studies teacher on day one said, here's how to do a five-paragraph essay, you'd be like, I, I'm not doing this. You know, you have to take it step by step, paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence, and it takes months to do that. So Matt and I, when we were in the weight room teaching, let's say, the squat, the first few weeks we would focus on okay let's just look at ankles and hips let's not even like wherever their upper bodies like yeah. go and we'll just let's focus on one area of their learning and then let's make sure that's great proficient and then we will move on okay next week all right now let's like get our hands underneath it our elbows up a little bit more if we're teaching let's say the front squat 
we would focus on different things each week to build together so that they have a really good front squat. And then that front squat will lead into a good clean. So learning happens like that instruction happens over time. It's not like, hey, this is this five paragraph essay, write the five paragraph essay. Oh, this stinks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's over time. And then the repetition and reminders are just throughout. So, um, yeah, the good old five paragraph essay. Oh man. Well, it's like whenever like this, this, this is like, it's so the standing conditioning is so simple. You just start at the end point and work backwards, right? So if you say, all right, I want to get my bench up to whatever, 200 pounds, right? But okay, how many weeks out is that? How many weeks, like, you know, how am I, when do I want to do it by? And then just by five pound increments, just drop it back and go. You know what I mean? It's simple. You know, start at the end point when it's when football or the sport start at the end point if you want them to learn something you know give them the visualization of the end point and then this is where we start you know so if we use the analogy with steve with the back squat we know where we're going so why can't i do it yet well hey you see when you're goblet squatting you have your chest up you're getting nice and deep in there you know your back's not arching all right i want you to be able to do that when you back squat and in order to do that we have to start it here and in x amount of weeks we'll be back well it's it's terrific how the end point will then inform the process like you're saying and i mean i think that's just tremendous that you do communicate that to kids to help them better understand goes to something you were saying earlier i think about uh when you see that rigidity of people who are unwilling to grow, I think I may have mentioned that, that what's so funny about that growth is it's supposed to be the growth back towards the kids and being more focusing on simplicity. Maybe there's some silliness in there or some fun, like like that's the kind of growth, the patience, like those are the things that kids have. Before we look ahead a little bit, I wanted to frame this a a little bit in looking back and I'm really curious, especially in this sphere, of strength, conditioning, athlete development, what are some things or something that each of you has changed your mind about in the last decade? Because you you two have been in the throes of a pretty significant boom in this industry and and the education involved. So Matt, what's something notable you've changed your mind on in the last 10 years? I can give you 30. (laughs) I mean, when you do, because you just have to, you just have to, you know, look back at where you started and then like yeah there's been a lot of changes you know it was kind of like a blend of old school and then now coming into the new school for for both of us Mm -hmm. um but um i would say how how i overall communicate um that's been the big one it hasn't been like like look Sets, reps, squats, rows, bench, chins, like all of those are always going to be a mainstay. Strength in and of itself, a million ways, there's a million and one ways to do it and they all work to a certain point for the certain population, yeah. right? So what I've learned is my communication tactics, how, um, how to communicate a little more on how not to communicate. Um, just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean that it's the way to do it. Um, 
That's big. Mike Boyle tells a great story um, about this where in World War II, the, uh, the Axis's, Axis powers were getting off twice as many rounds as uh, mortar shells for, as, uh, yeah. as the Allied were. So he got, um, what's his name? The, Boyle. No, not oh. Boyle. Uh, anyway, the leader of the Allied Army. MacArthur? Did I make that up? I don't know. Adam? No, not bad in this role. But anyway, people in this podcast are screaming. I'm a social studies teacher. Uh, oh, okay. So uh, finally, some, wow. somewhere in the somewhere in their car, just went, oh, thank <laughs> um, I'd say, go back, find me why they're getting off two more. They go back to the World War One manual. They're like, they're like, yeah, shoot, shoot the or shoot the uh, missiles. Wait thirty seconds, right? It's like, why? Why are we waiting 30 seconds? Why? Go back further. Civil War manual, right? Fire the cannons, wait 30 seconds for the horses mm-hmm. to die down, right? Because we always did it this way, it doesn't mean it's the optimal way to do it now, right? And that's where we're coming along so much, whether it be the exercises that we choose or the way in which we communicate. But I would say 10 years ago, if a kid in a warm-up line was just like he had bad body language, right? He just looked like he wasn't interested. I would I would call him out, you know, aggressively, like an old school boy. Hey, so and so, you're dogging this drill or whatever. Now and probably this five seven years ago, maybe um, took the turn. Where now my first thought is I'll go over to the kid and say, Hey, is everything okay today? Right? Uh, I didn't sleep very much today. Yeah. You know, or whatever. You find a lot more kids will be like, like, yeah, I just wasn't feeling good. You know, I, uh, one, of, one of the rugby players the other day showed uh, he was late to us warming up and we were skipping and he just ran and started skipping. And my first reaction, speaking of which was always wrong, <laughs> was, come on, Jack, you're late, man. And then two seconds, old, two seconds later, I went over to him and said, hey, man, are you Okay. And he's like, actually, coach, I'm ex- I was just sleeping in my car. I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm late. I said, no, on days like today, come and talk to me. I want you to go home, get rest, because sleep is more important at this point. You know, so yeah, that's that to me has been overall communication and coaching style of uh, of the athletes that I work with, the people that I work with. Your question was, what changed? What what I changed about? Strength and conditioning. Or no, what have you changed your mind about oh, in the last um, 10 years? Back when I first became strength coach, I was like a mobility and strength guy. That was like my thing. And if we had time, we would focus on those two. Matt really pushed me the last five years or so to make strength more, or excuse me, speed more important mm. than strength. And I was always the, came from the background that, okay, if they get, they improve their movement and then they get stronger. That will lead into their speed. And Matt was always like, no, speed is number one. And to me, that was a, a mind shift. Which is of, funny because I'm the, was the exact opposite player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, but, that's, but that's true. And you can work speed all year. And that was what we, we focused on uh, timing sprints. We did, we microdose speed every day. We didn't spend a ton of time, but we spent enough time, just a few hard sets of sprinting. Um, we did it every single day. And to me, that was a big change doing, giving that time allotted to it when you only have an hour and you don't really have much space where you have to find the space to do sprints. Yeah. You have to. 
and whether that's going outside or whatnot. And Matt really pushed me on that. That's why I changed. And having speed as the first priority, strength as the second priority. I use, always used to have it. Wow. Strength, the first priority, speed, the, sec, the second priority. And I've the last few years I was coaching, that was really blew my mind. It just how faster kids got, how healthier they got in terms of they wouldn't pull their hamstrings, tweak their hip flexors, whatever. Um, and speed was, I mean, we had some great results from that. And it was, I, it was one of us, I wish I did this earlier. Mm. And Matt was the one who actually really pushed me to do that because I was always like, Hey, if, you know, let's get him in the weight room earlier. Let's step, spend more time building weak points in the weight room. And there's value to do that. But when we made that shift, we saw tremendous results. And I, it was, I was like, wow, I should have, we should have done this years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I wouldn't say it's more important than strength for an athlete, but I will say it's as, you know what I mean? Like, depending on, you know, if you're a field sport athlete, you know, what you do, you know, running out trumps anything you can do in the way. But the, the microdosing is so fascinating to me because I, I asked that question just on a broad health and fitness scale, or what are the things that you can, could, or should be doing every day. And like, I think it's a short list, like drink water, but, but then when you get down to the details of, okay, in my program, what are the things that I could do every day I'm working out? And for that to be speed, I have to figure that's been a pretty major uh, paradigm shift in the industry. Cause I'm, I'm assuming that there was a lot of reinforcement behind strength, maybe sprinkling the mobility and the rest will work itself out. Um, you know, one thing we haven't given credence to, but I, I hope shines through from hearing you two talk about this, is the open-mindedness. You collaborate with each other. We talked about that at the beginning, your willingness to seek out feedback. Steve, what do you think of this? Matt, I, I think we should be trying this. What do you think? I mean, that seems like a game changer. I, uh, if you can think of yourself as like a bubble graph, right? Like where it's you and my information, like let's say Matt's information on strength and conditioning is one bubble, right? Mm -hmm. That bubble for me has a lot of different other like spider bubbles coming off of that for whatever the quality is that I'm looking for, right? So like if it's strength stuff, it's like I'm going to look at what the strong people do, power lifters and, you know, the strongest guys, Olympic lifters, like, right, what they do when it comes to explosive stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at what fast and powerful people do as far as, you know, what explosive people do, like whether it be, you know, uh, strength speed stuff like the Olympic lifts or just loading a loaded jump like strength speed, you know, like a load mm -hmm. and going with it. You know, there's, you're getting the same quality. You know, so that's the way that like I've looked at myself recently is just having a lot of different bubbles that come off of the main bubble as sources of information that may or may not think the way that I think, right? Maybe they do, right? It's like, okay, I take a lot from this guy, but this guy goes against that and I want to know why. Right? Well, he thinks this. Well, I can, I can see sprinkling in too. Right? So, like, you might take somebody like a Mike Boyle who, you know, nobody does curls in his gym. Right? Like, it's, you know, you do the simplest form of what you have to get done. And he's been ridiculously successful with it. But, you know, you also look at bodybuilders or just people who want to put on mass or what's important to a kid. 
you know, and you can throw some bicep curls at the end of a workout. Who cares, right? So I'm like, I don't want to be too functional. I don't want to be too power power lifting. I don't want to be too bodybuilding, you know, or explosive Olympic. You want to be a good blend of everything. And I, I I share your desire for a well-roundedness. When I was growing up, my uh, Pepe, my uh, my mom's father, who grew up in Canada, but you know, spent most of his life in the U.S. They lived two miles down the road from us, so he was he was a big part of my life. Luckily, got to you know see me through BC High. But we always talked when I would see them about scholar athlete and this idea of being a well you know and being a man for others and and this idea of a of a well-rounded person. Um, I mean, I think that's exemplified in your approach is not being too much of this, that, or the other thing, but having that blend. I mean, I think that's part of the environment we come from is we have role models of guys who were, you know, kick, kicked butt in the classroom, on the field, were decent to other people. Like, like that, that is something I'm really keen on. And as we look ahead, you, you two have been such beauties, letting me steal so much of your time. And I'll, I'll say before these final questions, two questions, possibly one, is that, you know, we, we in terms of well-roundedness, that's my hope for this podcast is that I am lucky enough to know so many interesting uh, expert level people. And since I have that, I'm easily entertained, I'm easily intrigued. I mean, so this is a joy for me, but like, I know that we don't need the mics to do this. Like we, we chop it up when, when the three of us have this downtime or one-on-one, I mean, you, I, I think we know these are the things we try to get to the bottom of. And I'm always grateful to you too for the, uh, for the time and the thought that you put into these. Looking ahead a little bit, I don't know if you guys remember Eugene Sandow, who people know as the in the father of, of I would say modern weightlifting more than like bodybuilding. Yeah, but he gets the, the trophy, the strong man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, brilliant that you know that. But in reading his book written in the early 1900s, he's talking about post World War II and how it was a travesty that at least a million British young men were declared unfit for service. And the first half of his book is about national physical education. So Steve, if the president called you today and said, I I want you to chair my national fitness education board and initiative. um, And he's the president, Steve. So he's very, very busy. He doesn't, (laughs) you can't explain to him every arm of the OMS system. What are your principles that you would take to national physical education? Uh, Well, just having it is the first key. Yeah. I mean, you know, the places around the world that don't have it, you're talking great schools have cut it out. Yeah. Middle schools have cut it out. High schools you have cut it out. So it doesn't. And that's, that's especially where I'm at. Like, like, yeah, kids like it doesn't, in some places it doesn't even exist. And just having that there is key. And then having professionals in that know, know, how kids operate, you know, know how to teach, but also understand understanding long-term athletic development. Like grade school kids, they should be playing, they should be moving, they should be jumping, they should be doing hanging from things, they should be just having fun games. Tumbling, yeah. Jumping, yeah. climbing over and then, things. And then yeah. middle school kids, they should be, you know, experimenting with some calisthenics, like, you know, maybe some resistance training with dumbbells, maybe... But still, you can still play games, but they're more competitive. Yeah. And then when you get to high school, I think people having understanding how to do fitness for themselves and setting themselves up for lifelong fitness is really, really important. So part of what Matt and I do, or and we did together, was by in- valuing how we instruct 
and really putting a, a program and a, an environment in place that kids can thrive, you want to equip and empower the kids to be able to keep fitness as a lifelong pursuit. It doesn't always have to be the first priority, but it should be in your top five always. And just having that desire to keep it in the top five is key, but also understanding what to do. All right, you're at college, you're busy, you're studying. What, what's a, what can I do two days a week? What can I do one day a week? What can I do for a half hour? The under, being able to maneuver with that is, is really important. So, Mr. President, if you are listening, um, please stop cutting PE and physical education around the country. Put There's plenty of qualified people, by the way. There are a lot of really talented, I mean, smart strength coaches I, I all hear, over the country who can't find work. I, 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 this is a pertinent example because I hear he did reach out to Kelly Sturrett. Nice. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, and the idea of getting qualified people into the schools and, and making room for it. Sometimes schools are so packed in that the kids have so much to do, especially high-performing academic places where it's hard to fit it in, but it, it has to be fit in. It's a skill. If you cannot do your best academically, um, you know, do great things in the world unless you are at your best and your body's at its optimal and you can, uh, your body's functioning on a high level, you, I mean, you, you, you're not going to mind do, body. You, yeah, yeah, you're not right. going to. That's mind body. And that's, I think that's something that not a lot of people have nowadays in general is balance. Whether it be work-life balance, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, gym field balance as far as physical preparation or something like that. A lot of people uh, don't have balance and that goes back to the, the bucket analogy is we want balance in all of life's yeah. buckets, right? Mm-hmm. Steve gave you like four or five, but just picture, you know, family, kids, school, et cetera, et yep. cetera, right? All of those. Um, so, so to have a foundation as you're a kid, because the, the dream that I'm working on here, and this is you know, one of the goals of, of this podcast as well, is bringing that awareness to people. And if you grow up with a physical education, with a, with a health and fitness education, when you're launched and, and your schedule is more your own and you use, the, you use those tools to be able to check in with yourself and say, how am I feeling? How am I moving? What am I neglecting? Where am I falling short of balance? Hey, what kind of foundational principles would you approach, Matt, for um, physical education? So, and these are just huge general terms here, so I'm going to encompass like, you know, what a basic day for us would look like, but yeah. this is also what I believe you know, because I was trying to think because Steve gave a really good answer. Yeah, uh, but I would say in terms of outside the weight room, it would be what we call movement variability, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just a lot of different movements. Some like what we were just talking about. Yeah, Somersault, shuffle, oh, shuffles, you know, Jump. back crawling, all those things, yeah. right? Movement variability, change, like running around different things. Like, um, so that's the youth. And then now we're talking about movement variability. When we get up to a high school or college specialized athlete, you still want to have as many movement tools in your toolbox as we possibly can have. So movement variability is, is paramount because Tom, me and you were talking about it. Um, you know, with certain populations or with certain sports, they're 
uh, they're primed for overuse injuries, mm-hmm. right? Like um, Tommy John surgery in baseball or, you know, ankles, knees, hips and runners. So or I'm, a, I'm a tennis player. It's shoulder, elbow. Exactly. Especially right? with a one-handed backhand. This, so this is move, all I use. So movement variability when you're not playing your specialized sport, yeah. that's big. And then... Uh, being savagely good at the basics in the world. Hell yeah. Right? Like, so if the more savagely good you are at the basics, the more, you know, your exercise pool is going to be open because you're going to do them well. So, like... And, they, I, and I, like, I like the big movement, and I think you two do as well. Push, pull, carry, hinge, squat. Right. And, so and maybe I, there's a I would, six. And yeah, so, like, I'm looking at... Uh, Coach Robertos Remedios, uh, he's where Grand Valley State, I think. Um, But he has seven movement categories Hmm. for the weight room. Push, pull, hinge, squat, carry, explosive core. Oh, cool. Right? I like that. Yeah, so add explosive and core into your push, pull, and squat. But so in the weight room, and that's both savagely well at single and single leg and or single arm as well as, you know, bilateral movements, right? So they should be familiar with a split squat, reverse lunge, as well as they should be with a goblet squat or trap bar deadlift, you know, uh, barbell bench press, dumbbell bench press, things like that. Um, But if we're talking about big rocks, it's like like bench, chin, rowing, uh, you know, some sort of hinge variation, unilateral variation but just getting really really good i love, I love savagely and then good savagely the good to the point where like you wear out the the to try like you're trying to build in general you're trying to build your base of your pyramid as wide as it can possibly be because the wider the base the higher the pyramid so when we're young Right, if we're a freshman in high school, right, we don't want to be doing like super advanced stuff with guys because then that's like the specialized method of getting the toothpaste out of the tooth. Yeah. We want to wear out the begasin, like literally add five pounds for five pounds to the bar every week until you can't do it anymore. Deload and continue to do that, right? You find like you're hitting a wall deload again right and you wear that out for years and years and years right and then you start getting more creative and specialized with your methods right but if we're talking about physical education build the basics savagely well build your movement pattern savagely well and then movement variability mm-hmm. so simple amen amen uh, in in closing i have a saying i stole from dan john that is often on my mind these days and I, th- I think he said it was on the banner of some gym he visited, but it said, strength has a greater purpose. And I'd like to know, by way of final thoughts, uh, again, starting with you, Stephen, and ending with you, Matt, um, wh- when you think of that, strength has a greater purpose, what's a greater purpose you see to training and caring about strength building? Uh, well, building physical strength carries over to mental emotional strength i mean it's just the discipline say that again man so the if, people in the back so can hear if, you. <laughs> uh, your physical strength will carry over to your mental strength and your emotional strength you'll become more resilient you showing up every day and putting your body through difficult things 
will provide you with an understanding of what difficult is. Your emotional state, your mental state, you will say, hey, you know, I just, you know, I push myself to the max physically. Like this person yelling at me is not that bad. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've, I had to do 50 push-ups yesterday and that was really hard. And now my teacher is yelling at me. Okay. Um, well, yeah, 50 push-ups was harder. So yeah. you're, it's going to carry over. I mean, resilience is overlaps to all of these and there's setting goals, physically having to do things difficult to reach those goals. I mean, that'll carry over to everything. And that's why Matt and I are so passionate about strength and conditioning and fitness because there's so much overlap. And it just, there's so much research out there that shows that your mental state, your emotional state is better. Just not just because you can connect to what was difficult, but also hormonally, the, what happens to your body when you strength train specifically, but also, you know, do aerobic work or, you know, anything really difficult where it gets your heart rate up. You're going to see hormonal differences, mental differences. Academically, you will perform better. You just, these things all carry over. So I, I love that quote. And um, it's definitely 100% true. Yeah. Um, I look at it as kind of a two-part statement. One, strength, you know, has greater purpose. You can look at that from just the physical side, right? Where strength underpins all other qualities, Right, so like you can't be powerful unless you're strong. You can't express moderate weight fast if you know you're not strong in general, right? So, you know, even strength in sprinting, you know, it's still very specific strength, you know. So, yeah. strength underpins everything in the weight room, building strength, whether it be strength on an imbalance in the weight room or you know, whatever it is. Right, like that underpins everything that comes after it. So you could look at it that way. Or two is going more of the, you know, emotional mental route of it. And that is the like strength. Um, people are capable of a lot more than they think they are. And anyone is capable of almost anything when they have to. That's what I learned when I got hurt. But everybody's have to is different. You might have to pass this test so that you can play football, right? You might have to go to rehab so that you can throw baseball again, right? You might have to get out of bed and work out at 4.30 a.m. because, you know, you're busy throughout the rest of the day. You're capable of many great things when you have to, right? So strength to me is the resiliency side of it, you know, People say mental toughness. I think that term is way overused. I think resiliency is way better, mentally resilient, mm -hmm. so that you know that if I can, I mean, shit, if I can get up and work out, you know, at 4 a.m. and lift and do this deadlift, right, then, you know, going to ask my boss for a raise isn't that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Like if I was intimidated by the four and a half, four plates on the bar, Right. Well, you know, the guy on the top floor doesn't hold anything. You know what I mean? So uh, strength is resiliency. And again, the number one transferable trait from the weight room uh, to anywhere in life is confidence. Right. So Joe Ken said that that wasn't me. I mean, strength can both give you it can 
give you confidence and humble you at the same time. And that's some people need more confidence and some people need to be humbled. So that's exactly what strength can do. It is like, you know, how like any football coach can explain how football transfers over into life, right? Like teamwork, resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. Like weight room coaches, we could do the same thing for the weight room, right? Oh man, Susie's depressed. Yeah. Come get her in the weight room. Have her like, you know, her hormones and her dopamine and, you know, serotonin, all that's going to be blasted through the roof. Tell me she doesn't feel better after a weight room session. Oh, so-and-so's coming off a of surgery. A uh, weight room session. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, to to us, I feel like exercise and wellness can answer a lot of questions. You know, so, yeah, I guess if you're asking, you know, I, I do think that many people, or most people, are capable of great things when they have to be. And that is an opinion of strength too. So it certainly is. And I love, I mean, I had never thought of that balance of both humility and confidence because I I know the confidence comes from, as you two are both saying, going in and saying, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. And then I finish and I say, damn, I did that. And I said I was going to, and then down the road, I look at the results and no one handed me those results. I didn't buy those results. They didn't come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. But me, and that that is just confidence personified. And then of course, yeah, the humility is if I can't pick this up or I can't move it fast or I can't do it without hurting myself. I mean, those are it's it's an incredible duality. And I have to say, I mean, you you two, it's been just incredible good luck in my life to see you two model that. You ignited that fire in me to be strong, to be fast, to be well. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a fruit, you know, that I continue to enjoy and I'm just so grateful that we, that we got to do this. Any, any final words or thoughts? Um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of folks your age are starting to drop health and fitness out of their priority list and you're in your late twenties. It's, you're going to start seeing the change. To my, my late mid-20s. Yeah, late mid. <laughs> late mid. Um, and it's just that lifelong pursuit of fitness, or at least at the very minimal maintenance of a good level of fitness, is really important. And that comes down to, like, you know, you referenced instruction and reminders. And we said meeting people where they are. And, you know, Matt, Matt and I strive to do that every day as we just help people understand the value of fitness for their life and it's so anyone listening if you're in your late 20s just keep it move yeah move move get away from the desk get away from the desk and move in many different ways as you can if you want to do yoga do yoga if you want to get in the weight room master the foundational patterns right if you want like whatever it is if you want to join a men's or a women's basketball league, oh, rec yeah. basketball league, rec soccer. There's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, if you're in your mid to late twenties and still have some semblance of athletic ability left versus, you know, now at, at, at the end of your, you know, mid to late thirties, you've been sitting at a desk and you're locked into one position and it gets so much harder to get yourself out of that. So the best way to, you know, look good, feel good, be strong, you know, in your 50s, 60s, and 70s is to not lose that athleticism and build a foundation of strength, you know, in your 20s and 30s and just be consistent with it, right? Consistent, maybe, hey, I've lifted three days a week for the past 20 years or whatever, you know? Just find whatever you can do consistently 
and do it. Two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, whatever it is, do it and do it consistently and, and, and you'll have results. Best program is the one that you'll do. And, and you two have a lot of those answers. So uh, again, thank you two for sharing your time, your lessons, your truth. I couldn't have asked for more. I have nothing else to say. So who's thank, to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? Tonight, tonight it's who's been to, you two. Who's to say? Matt McLuhan and Steve Kiley. Yeah. I have a lot of love for you too. So thank Thanks, you guys. Buddy. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Who's to Say? It was an honor to be your host for that discussion. I had so much fun with Steve and Matt. We carried on long into the night, and we all agreed that we easily could have kept going. But I said, think of the listeners, you two. I'm sure two hours of us screaming and giggling and um, theorizing was enough. So next week, you'll all be stuck with me again, another solo cast. I'm going to get back into it. We're going to follow a trail of uh, important ideas and emotions and and ways to execute in this difficult time. I've received some uh, really incredible feedback from people about things that we can discuss and work on. The guest list continues to grow, but as always, if you have someone whom you think that I would enjoy speaking with or has a compelling story, uh, or if you yourself think that I, I should be talking about a certain issue or idea, I'm an open book and it's not going to be closed for a long, long time. So thank you again. And until next time, it really has been a pleasure.